A casual glance at economic news might make you think the world is going to the dogs. But what if it was going to the bugs and the maggots? Economic forces like climate change and population growth have a new generation of farmers scouring the globe for fresh sources of protein. The edible insect market may exceed $1 billion in five years and along the way diffuse a potential food crisis. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Daniel Moss, columnist at Bloomberg Opinion in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. Two guests today come at the boom in gastronomy from different places. First, we'll be joined by Olympia Yaga, who left North Carolina for Canberra, where she's CEO of GoTerra. GoTerra builds mobile insect farming systems. In June, I ate some worms and crocodile at an event with Olympia. The worms were fine. The croc was a bit dodgy. Our second guest is Agnieszka D'Souza, who covers commodities and agriculture for Bloomberg News in London. With two colleagues, she recently wrote an article called Bugs Are Coming Soon to Your Dinner Table. First, let's go to our intrepid Australian insect farmer. Olympia, why don't we start by describing your role in this emerging constellation of the insect gastronomy? Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of a company called GoTerra that manages food waste using insects in robotic modular systems. And I'm also the chairwoman of the Insect Protein Association of Australia, which is the national representative body for insect farmers and insect retailers in Australia. And Olympia, when you talk about insect farming, insect protein, what kind of insects are we actually talking about, both the ones that you do and other uh, people in your association have been uh, working with? Yeah, so for insects for food, the big three are mealworms, and there's a couple of different types of mealworm, cricket, and in that group you could probably put you know your locust and your grasshopper and then um, cockroach or beetle and and then there's some other novel ones where people grow sort of spiders or scarabs and things like that but those three are the most conventional that people farm in in commercial quantities both in Australia and around the world. So the cockroaches that I've seen walking around various apartments that I've lived (laughs) those become food is that what you're talking about how does that happen you are a cockroach farmer without realizing it yeah they yes those are the cockroaches that we're talking about they are um actually really clean and this is sort of an interesting segue for into the culture of insects and how we perceive what insects are so they're always being considered dirty things um but cockroaches as as an an animal are actually quite clean and they uh, have a very distinct flavour that is, is appealing and they're mostly turned into a meal which people use as a flour substitute. Okay, so just so we're clear on this, are we at the point where we will soon be able to walk into 
Whole Foods or Woolworths or Tesco or Carrefour and say, hey, where's the aisle that has the cockroach flower? (laughs) How far off is that? I don't think we're that far away at all. The challenge for any new industry, but you know, in this case, this industry is the commercial capacity to produce commodity for FMCG. So, what is FMCG? So, FMCG is fast-moving consumer goods. So, those are chips, cakes, muffins—you know, the things that we buy as snacks and things—and so those you've got to farm enough insects for your products to become mainstream and so the industry is merging and we're getting more farmers and more farmers are getting to commercial capacity and so that's a barrier to becoming mainstream if you can't make enough product to even get shelf space in the more conventional stores you're not going to be able to move there i think we're probably less than two years away from cricket products being found in aisles of our you sort of your more Trader Joe whole food type places isn't what you make now is that more for for livestock use is it is it going to animal feed and that sort of thing yeah so insect farming does lend itself to being used for for livestock feed and there are people um, goTerra is one of them that farms insects for livestock feed but the opportunities is equally split. So there's just as much opportunity to raise insects for livestock feed based on waste substrates that make you know that are available that should be used that should be utilised as a resource, um, as there is for insects to be farmed for human consumption. I think you have hit on a point that's accurate, and it is a challenge of the industry is that for centuries insects are bad. It's a deeply ingrained understanding in pretty much most of most cultures. And that is a barrier to consumption or adoption is that cultural conversation and how do we bring these products to market when we've been told for our whole lives that having an insect in your food is really bad. But I don't think that that's as unsurmountable a challenge as as actually the farming side. To be perfectly frank, I think... Um, the farm getting people to commercial capacity in, in an industry that's as new as it is is actually the greater challenge. Now, at an event at the Australian National University, you were a panellist, I was there. We dined, among other things, on crocodile loin on seaweed. That's before we got to the worms, which were an optional extra. Let's talk about the croc. Not typically something urbanites would eat, What's the appeal there, and is it broadly part of the same movement that gets us bug gastronomy? Yeah, I think, you know, Australians have been eating crocodile what since the 90s, but it's never really taken, I don't know if it's ever really made it into mainstream. You can find it in your regular grocery stores, but it's not, like there's not lots of it. There's just sort of a little bit off to the side. But, yeah, I think the challenge with food is we don't know how to cook it. Our parents teach us how to cook or our peers and and so the, our understanding of what to cook and what we bring into our homes when we, we leave home is generally what we've been taught. And so culturally, you know, I'm Greek and so I was raised on Greek type foods and that's what I teach my children how to make. And so 
when confronted by a crocodile, I don't know what to do with it. It, it showed, actually, to be frank. I found, not that you were responsible <laughs> for preparing it. that meal, but, <laughs> but, you know, you've brought me to my next point, which is, you know, the mealworms uh, that were an optional extra, I indulged in them and I found them pretty unoffensive. It wasn't the world's strongest taste, but they were okay. I found at that meal the crocodile to be pretty ordinary, fairly tasteless, quite rubbery in texture. Now, after leaving lunch, walking back to the main conference session, I did feel a certain spring in my step. Were those worms doing something for me that I was not aware of as I ate them? Obviously. <laughs> I think you were probably lucky, just glad to be moving most likely because that was a, quite a dense meal. The, the mealworms are, you know, 60% protein. And so maybe you ingested extra protein and you felt better for it. But I don't know if I should take full responsibility for your demeanour after lunch. The crocodile, I think, was a true example of the challenges of new things. Um, it wasn't cooked particularly well. That's not normally how crocodile tastes. Um, but, you know, if you aren't used to dealing with that meat, you, it's quite hard to manage it. And, and it's the same, you know, if I gave mealworms to somebody who'd never eaten them before, how would they know how to cook it? So I think that's where you're using the product in fast-moving consumer goods is easier because it's already conveyed in a product that you can consume. We can put it into chips and bars and things, and that makes sense to us. We already eat those things. Um, and it sort of is a good entry as far as you're looking at market demographics because you're generally paleo eaters or vegan eaters or um, slow food eaters. Those people who have already committed to specific types of eating are more readily engaged in adopting new products that fit their ethos, not necessarily their palate or their, their, what they like to eat. So. so one more question from me, Olympia. If I heard you correctly earlier, you said that you're not necessarily worried about demand in your line of business. It's more the supply, getting the capacity for farming to meet what you think is going to be strong demand. What is business like in your company and in your industry? Is it, is it growing at a very rapid rate? Can you, can you give us any numbers? Sure. So the industry globally is expected to both in food, so insects for food production and insects for feed production are both expected to have a 100% growth over the next two years to um, both reach a billion dollar industry by 2020. And so that's pretty speedy given how long the industry has been around. And those things are about the fact that we've got farms in Canada and Europe and the US who are currently at commercial com commodity capacity and can produce those commercial co commodity quantities. And so we're now seeing these products get to market for people to consume and that's lifting the entire industry as it goes. Olympia, what role are robots playing in your business? Yeah, so we have designed a 
robotic modular system for farming insects. The nature of Australian agriculture and how the demographic of our landmass, how we are spread out with you know with cities quite far distances from each other, um, and we have these regional hubs that are almost isolated. So you'll drive you know three hundred kilometres and suddenly there's fifty thousand people living in the middle of nowhere. When you consider using insects to eat waste or waste streams, that means you it's a better option to be where the waste is than it is to be trying to truck waste to you so you can raise insects. So I created a robotic system to farm insects on site where waste is created. It can farm either black soldier fly or mealworm and we will be commercialising that product in the next 18 months and getting it out into trials. But what that will mean for us and our goal and of where these end up being is that we can put them under shopping malls where large volumes of waste, food waste are being thrown away and they can consume that waste on site using insects um, without the need for human interaction or human intervention, which is generally where you, know, you find challenges with employment. And certainly manually raising insects on food waste is not economically viable in an industrialised work country. So, yeah, robots managing food waste under shopping malls. So this is an instance where robots are assisting you with your disruption of the food industry. Yeah, so we're disrupting waste management, which has, is an industry that hasn't been disrupted in its existence. So even though we have different ways of managing waste, bioreactors and all those different new uh, methods we still pick up waste from one location and drag it or truck it to another and manage it in an an alternate location to where it was created Um, we believe that those mechanisms of managing waste are becoming more and more prohibitive mostly around the cost of petrol and trucking but also around the need to keep regional communities vibrant and and industry based in regional um, areas and so for us it's about decentralizing waste management and keeping it close to its region rather than dragging it across country for management we think that's a more viable way to move into the future well olympia uh, thanks for joining us and good luck to you thank you so much for having me it's been fun So that's our on the ground or in the ground perspective. Now let's go to Agneska D'Souza in London. Aggie, thanks for joining us. When you researched and reported bugs are coming soon to your dinner table, what really struck you? So while researching for my article, what I didn't expect to find is how many people there were committed to insect farming particularly here in in Europe. I thought this was very Asian-oriented industry. You know, there are at least 20,000 farms in Thailand. Insects are a popular food in that region. So I thought that if, if we were to consume insects here in Europe, they would still be imported from Asia. And what I discovered was that actually people here are more and more 
committed to rearing insects locally. What I found uh, surprising was to to meet people who who had other jobs in the past, other careers, uh, city dwellers, or uh, who would hear about this possibility and they would just completely make a, make a career change and switch to insect, uh, insect farming. And, and at the same time, it was, it was interesting to find people as well who would, such as the Sikonen family, who are traditional farmers and uh, learned about this possibility that they could actually do it in Finland and, and were willing to take that opportunity. What about the financial incentives for the farmers to get into this field or the city folk that you, you discussed? Is it becoming a, a lucrative business or is it is it already there? It's a slow journey. I think uh, you are you're seeing people who are committed because they believe in it, but they do acknowledge that right now it's not going to be a lucrative business straight away. It's a very young industry, particularly here in Europe or in the West in general. So, so you know, because it's quite small, you do not have the economy of scale. The production costs are going to be much higher than what you obtain in Asia. So, so just to give you an example, you know, the price of crickets or cricket flour in, in Europe and North America can be as much as five times the price of the same product farmed in Asia, in, in Thailand specifically. So, so you have to wait, you have to see more investment in technology, you need to see the economy scale achieved in order to actually bring the production costs down and be able to sell the product at the appropriate price. So, so, so that takes time, but I think, you know, as, as the demand picks up, you know, many of these people hope that they will be able to achieve good profits at the end of it. So let's talk more broadly about this. This is not just farmers shifting from livestock to bugs because, say, they're having a midlife crisis. What are the economic forces that are making this a real business proposition? One attractive thing about insect farming is how few resources they use. So, you know, insect farming doesn't require as much land they're so tiny you can just keep them in a, you know in a very compact place you know they do not require huge water resources you know in terms of that I, th- I think that really helps then in terms of the feed you know you need to be feeding them in order to to rear them and if you look at the feed conversion ratio you know the amount of feed you need to get in order to produce one kilogram of let's say cricket, that is five times smaller than what you require for beef. What role does climate change and population growth play? A big one, because more and more consumers are aware of the impact traditional livestock, traditional meat sector has on the environment. We are aware that rearing cattle contributes to climate change. It is a major source of greenhouse gas emissions. So more and more consumers are trying to adjust their 
diets, they're more aware, uh, environmentally conscious, and they want to, uh, through their dietary choices, they want to bring about the change. So insects are a good proposition because, you know, they they are not emitting as huge quantities of greenhouse gas, gases as pigs or cows. So, so definitely this is something that many people are watching when when they reach out for protein and and another thing is we are more and more aware that you know the population will continue to increase we're expecting to reach the population of 9 billion by 2050 and we are aware that we're going to have to increase our food supplies by at least 50% by that time and because our global resources are limited we are um in and scientists and organizations and and food companies are trying to find the answers how are we going to do it how are we going to find those alternative proteins and you do have certain options you for example you have meat alternatives so you hear about lab-grown meat or plant-based products that resemble meat that smell like meat or taste like meat but we but, but we know you know we are still far from this um mass production of such products and and we know we, we, they cost a lot so so so, so, you know, it makes you think, you know, perhaps insects could be that that alternative, given that they're actually very high in protein. Aggie, in your article, you write about uh, a couple of restaurants in Finland that are serving crickets on their menu. And you also uh, discuss how ground up crickets, for example, can be made into, uh, I guess, a kind of powder that could be added to foods like sausages, cookies muffins, tofu, and even ice cream. Is this actually happening already in some of the foods in our grocery store? Or um, you know, when, when is this supposed to start really hitting the mainstream? So, so cricket flour or insect flour, is, it's a very fast-growing segment of, of the market. It's ground-up crickets. They don't taste... Of much and and they don't look like insects, so it helps consumers to overcome this icky factor. You know, it's much easier to consume an insect for many people if if the product doesn't look like an insect, particularly here in the West. So you're seeing more and more products that use that contain the the flour, and the most common one these days that you actually already seen supermarkets um maybe more the 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 niche supermarkets or the 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 organic or the vegan focused ones or the you know the health that the health stores you do see energy bars so you know so this is aimed at people who work out and you know people who just need a snack um have you tried any any of these uh products yeah, I did. I did. Actually, they don't taste of insects. It didn't strike me as um, as anything different because insect flour accounts for 10% of the product. So if you actually look at the ingredients, it's not the majority of what you get in a bar. And then, you know, I tried licorice. That was a Finnish product. I tried cr- crackers. So, you know, once it's ground up, you know, you just you can just consume it like uh, as if it was any any other product. So I think the appeal here is more nutrition, 
driven rather than taste driven. Aggie, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. Our guest Olympia Yarger is at Gotera underscore CEO, and Aggie D'Souza is at Aggie D'Souza. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.